Yeah, I don't like those New Year's resolutions. Not a big fan of like self-control or discipline. So it's like, I mean, I know I need to, like obviously, like, I, and, I, and I, I have them. I'm not saying that I don't. I'm just saying that it's rough. And uh, that's not the way I want to start the New Year is talking about all the things that I'm doing wrong and bad. I don't want to like sit around and be like, oh, I'm just so fat and I got to fix that. You know, like I, I'm not saying that that's not true. It is. I'm just saying that I don't want to like focus on that. Uh, it, as like the, you know, this is how the year is going to go. Let's, let's, let's talk about all the, the hard things we got to do in order to be the people that uh, we want to be. Rather, I would like to talk about opportunity. I would like to talk about something that's new, that's fresh, that's exciting, rather than all of the things that I need to do to be the person that you think I should be, or that I think I should be, or maybe even that God thinks I should be. And so uh, our, our, our New Year's uh, series is called Gifted, and we're going to be looking at this, the gifts of the Spirit. Um, we've just gotten through the, the season of gift giving, and now we're going to see uh, the gifts that God gives us um, in the aftermath of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes, and then through his Spirit, God uh, gives us gifts. And so uh, let's look at our—this our, will be our theme verse, and each week we'll, ha- we'll pull out one thing from this theme uh, passage, but then we're going to see how it's instantiated, how it's made real, how it's given flesh in the life of Jesus Christ. And then we're going to see how it can be made real in our lives. And so hopefully, uh, as, as we, we go through this, we'll start to understand what gifting is, what it's for, and how every single one of us can contribute and have a, a, a year that's, um, that, that, that's fresh and, and, and bubbling with opportunity. So this is what uh, uh, Paul says in Romans 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but be reasonable, each according to the measure of the faith that God's appointed or assigned to you. For as in one body, we have many members. We've got lots of different parts of our body. And not all of the different parts have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ. And individually, we're members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And I just want to make a note there. Um, the, the Bible is pretty honest about the fact that not everyone's gifts are the same. In fact, uh, some people have better gifts, like they're better at certain things than other people who have the same gift. Um, you may think of the, uh, the, the parable of the talents where, you know, uh, Jesus says the master gives ten gold or whatever to one guy, five to another, one to another. There, there's different graces given to us, and yet we all have gifts that are meaningful and powerful. And so even if they're not like some, you know, maybe two people have the gift of, of you know, uh, giving or whatever, but one's got a better gift. One's a little more giving than the other. That's okay. That's not wrong. It's just the way it is. Uh, but here are the, some various gifts that God gives. Prophecy in proportion to faith. If your gift is ministry, then you should be ministering. If you're a teacher, you should be teaching. If you're an encourager, then you should be encouraging. If you're a giver, you should do so generously. If you're a leader, then be diligent, zealous in, in the way that you uh, do it. If you're merciful or compassionate, be cheerful as you do so. Uh, we're going we're gonna to investigate every single one of these over the next uh, several weeks. Um, but we don't have to do them in order. And so, I, I, you know, there, Paul has different ways of different places in the New Testament where he gives lists like this, and they're not in the same order. They, they go in and out of order, and that's because none of these gifts is better than any other. Uh, lots of the, these gifts are just what we see that the Spirit gives in, uh, in, in our community. Uh, for those of you who, um, mo- most of us here are normal, we do have a few uh, weird weirdos here. Uh, just like, uh, freaks, as some people call them. Elementary school teachers. 
Yeah, uh, just odd, strange people. Why anyone would make that a vocation uh, just it seems like, you know, torturing yourself day in, day out. Uh, but Doug, our worship leader, he's, he's a sixth grade teacher uh, here at Stony Brook Christian School. Monica Grimm, also very, very odd person. Uh, she teaches fifth grade at, her, at Stony Brook Christian School. Um, yeah, I, I would say all teachers are weird, but elementary school teachers are the weirdest. Uh, because no one in their right mind would want to spend six to eight hours a day uh, with prepubescent youths. Um, and I remember uh, when I went to uh, elementary school, it was a long time ago, but I have some vague memories. And my, my least favorite day was the first day of school. Some of you love this. We got the social butterflies who like, like uh, they're like, oh yeah, school's starting, get to see my friends. I was like, ah, I just, I don't know if I really want to deal with these people. Um, and I have a picture here of an elementary school classroom. When I walked in as a child, and now when I wa- walk in as an adult, what, it frightens me because there's just chaos. It's chaos. There's so many different things, lots of colors. It's overwhelming. Um, I like black and white. I don't want to see all of that. And then there's little, little people, like unformed, running around, silly crazy, eating glue. Very strange, very strange uh, place. And what I've, I've noticed, though, uh, amongst those, those odd uh, elementary school teachers is that the really good ones, and I'm happy to report uh, that our elementary school teachers here are extremely good, uh, they, they have a very, a very interesting way of going about it. Like, with the first day, yes, everything's chaotic and odd and strange, and, and there's children, you know, picking each other's noses. Uh, but the elementary school teacher, the Doug, the Monica, they have this vision, and especially at Stony Brook, um, our friends, where it's not just, they have a vision at the end of the year, all of these little people are going to master the material, they're going to become masters of the curriculum, whatever it is, and they're going to be involved in Christian formation, they're going to become formed into Christian young folk. Now, in order to accomplish this, they have to come up with a way to turn the insanity of this classroom into something that's orderly, that's effective. And what I've noticed about great teachers is that probably within a month of the school year, they've already identified every kid's kind of unique role, gifts, abilities. They can see where, oh, oh little Jimmy here, he's, uh, he needs to be like helping all the time. Like little Jimmy, if, he, if, he, if he's not doing something very, with his hands, he's going he's gonna to start rolling on the floor and it's going to be bad. And so the, let's say, little Jimmy, I need to erase the, 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 the whiteboard. Can you please come and help me do that? And little Jimmy, oh, boy, he can't reach very high, but he tries. Or hey, Maria, Obviously, you're way advanced, and, and this is almost kind of boring for you because you're, like, you're so good at math and science and reading. Well, you know, over here, uh, Mark, he's, he's having a hard time. Would you mind, you know, work, now that you've finished your work, would you mind helping him, you know? It's very interesting. Uh, what ends up happening is in, in, the, in a really great elementary school classroom, and to some extent all classrooms, uh, the, the students become involved. They, they, they start picking up natural roles, and they, they start to be um, uh, identified and used based on their, their gifts and abilities. And as a result, they're all working together to stop the chaos and move the entire classroom towards the goals of the, 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 the room, the mastering of the material, the, the formation of Christian character um, at Stony Brook. 
And so the first thing we need to do is say thanks to our weirdos, Monica and Doug. Any other elementary school teachers here? Well, no, she was junior high. It's different. Junior high. Once you're in junior high, uh, kids are they're sort of like they're just more more tolerable. Um, so Maryland doesn't count. No thanks for you. Sorry. I'm kidding. So thank you to you, elementary school teachers. But uh, in the same way, uh, God has given gifts to everyone here. We also have a mission. God didn't just gather you here um, so that you have something to do and a place to put your children uh, during Sunday morning. God actually has gathered us here because God has a mission, and that is to build up this church to make us more into like to Christ-like people, and also to gather in more people who haven't believed, who haven't been baptized, who haven't been discipled. And so we're all a part of this mission. In the same way that Sternberg Christians school classroom is is mastering the material and and, and forming Christian character, we're building up a community of the faithful, of disciples. And in order for that to work, it, it can't just be us running around smashing into each other in chaos. God has given gifts to every single person here who has believed in order to make that happen. That's the first thing here, note sheets. Spiritual gifts are the spirit empowered talents and abilities every believer receives to build up the church. Now, some people wonder, like, uh, are these gifts that I didn't have before I was a Christian, or are these some—or did I? I mean, wh- how, how does this work? Well, uh, I think—I have a friend, Larry. Uh, he, he's an evangelist. Um, my sermon writing partner, partner, Mike, his dad's named Larry. He was a, uh, he was a, a cop for a long time, um, and he was a tough dude, um, really kind of a broken man, uh, and, and, and then he came to Jesus, and then, my gosh, I mean, the guy, he, he can't shut up about Jesus. He can't, he's an evangelist. Like, he just, everyone he meets is like, have you met my Lord and Savior? I mean, the guy is unbelievable. But I would say that he had already had kind of evangelistic gifts before he was saved. He was all, whatever he was interested in or excited about, he would share with you. Like, doesn't matter. In fact, uh, <laughs> he met my dad, gosh, 10, 15 years ago, and uh, he was like, Dave, you're real fat like me. I bet you snore a lot. Gonna need a CPAP machine. My dad never heard of that. And man, it, sa- it saved his marriage uh, because Larry Lotzer was like, you need a CPAP machine. He was an evangelist for anything he was interested in. And then when he became a Christian, God used that natural gift and amplified it for evangelism. At the same time, I also know people who uh, were, before they came to Jesus, were extremely self-centered, selfish people. And yet, once they came to Jesus, uh, over time, they began to be really, really generous, self-sacrificing, and giving. This this uh, generous and, and helpful in ways they'd never been before they were saved. And so, in that case, it was something that God just planted in them they never had before. But whatever the case, these are your your abilities, your talents, whether they're natural or whether they only came from God. Once, they're, once you have them, you're, you're, they're designed to build up the church. So today we're going to look at encouragement. This is uh, in verse uh, 8, I think, of, of, yeah. The encourager in encouragement. Paul says, hey, if you've got the gift of encouragement, well, by golly, start encouraging. Uh, it's a weird, if, if you pull out your pew Bible or if you go on your, um, on your phone to, to an older translation, maybe the New King James, something like that, you'll probably see exhortation, an exhorter, in exhortation. That's a, that's a kind of an older English word, and we don't use it so much anymore. But notice that it sounds different to us than the word encouragement. Okay? Uh, to exhort, we kind of think of as like, go do it. 
Whereas somebody who encourages is kind of like somebody who's like, it's like, hey, hang in there, buddy. You can do it, you know? And what's interesting about the Greek, the Greek word behind that is parakaleo. It's made up of para, which means, um, it's a uh, prefix. It means something like um, come uh, alongside of or near, close to. Um, and then kaleo, which is the word, you can actually hear call in that word, kaleo. That's where we get our word call. It means to call. So it's like to, 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 to call near or get, get, or near to a calling. Uh, so, and, and in, in Greek, the same as in English, call can mean more than just like, hey, you. Um, a call in Greek can also be like a call in English, like something that I've been called to do. The one time, the one time I'm going to talk about Brooke and she's not here. Well, get her out of there. What's she doing? And bring Soren in too. I have a picture of Brooke. You can't see her. Check us out. This is Brooke. You're going to get Brooke? Look at you. Uh, Brooke is on the, she, she's one of our high schoolers. She's on the top right in the top row. It's hard to see her, which is why hopefully we can get her out here so I can just put her right in front. You can, she's, uh, she's on the, the Mission Viejo pep squad. That's what they call it. The, uh, the, the Diablos. She's, and in fact, if I'm not mistaken, she's, isn't she the captain of the cheer team? Wow. That's pretty cool. Captain of the cheer, cheer team. In fact, uh, earlier this year, uh, she invited Alice, my daughter, to come and be like a junior cheerleader. And so it was, they, they don't have very many fans of Mission Viejo football. Like, no one shows up to their games. And so what they do is they have parents of younger children have their kids come out during halftime, and that forces us to... to so they had a really sellout crowd because we were all looking at our, at our little kids. Brooke, come here. Come on. There she is. Yeah, there's Brooke, captain of Mission Viejo Pep Squad, Diablos. Look at her go. So Brooke, uh, as the captain of the team, has a very big responsibility, and that is namely to make sure that the players on the football, just turn around and wave, and then you can go. Or you can sit there, either one. You're not going to wave? No, I don't care about him. Dude, you're, you're a cheerleader, aren't you? are supposed to be like, or was that? Uh, they have a, you have a very big job. Like, when the football team is down and out, you're the one who's like, girls, we got to encourage our defense. They're getting ripped apart. And so Brooke gets up there on the top box, and she's like, push him back, push him back, way back. Don't you? Is that what you do? Uh, and the reason she's doing that is because the you know, those, those, those hulking football players, they're, they're beat down, they're, they're, they're tore up, and the, the defense is getting slaughtered, the run game is, is just going all over them, and you're the one, Brooke, who's responsible. I guess football's over, so your job is done. But it was, it was to say, guys, hang in there. You can do it. And what you're doing is you're, is you're calling them near to you. Literally, that's what cheerleaders do. They call the, the team near to them to get close and be like, like, it's okay. Hang in there. You've got this. Don't quit. You're still in this. 
That's kind of what cheer, and that, and that is one definition of parakaleo, to, to encourage in Greek. It's to, it's to call near, to get really close, call someone near to you, so that when they're, when they're down and out, when it doesn't look like there's any hope, that the defense can push them back. Okay, Brooke, you're done, get out of here. You can stay, I'm just kidding, you don't have to do anything, you do what you want. Good job, Brooke. Oh, by the way, since Justin's gone, we can all admit that you're the, the better of the two children. All right. Now, uh, the, the, so there's the cheerleaders. Their job's to, to call the team near to them when they're, when they're down and out. Or if they're just doing really well, to be like, keep going. You're doing great. Keep it up. But there's somebody else on the field whose job is, is, some, is somewhat different. And um, this is, this is uh, Doug's favorite movie, Remember the Titans. I, you know, sports movies. Uh, don't you want a sports movie where at the end they lose and everyone's miserable? Wouldn't that be great? Like, really switch it up? Guess not. Okay. Well, remember the Titans, Denzel Washington, is, uh, he's the coach. And, uh, of course, the, the, the film is, is about a racial integration um, in, uh, you know, some years back, decades back, when, uh, when black and white fo- uh, players came together in, uh, in, in desegregated schools. And so that's the backdrop of Remember the Titans. But uh, the job of head coach is given to Denzel Washington. And Denzel Washington um, is way different than the other coach. He's, he's like, he's super, like, he's really intense and really mean. Like, that's kind of his calling card. He's like, he's the, he's the, he's the bad cop. But what his job is, is his job is to be like, look, you're as fast as you are, but you should be a lot faster. You're as good at catching footballs as you are, but you should be a lot better. You're as good at throwing footballs as you are, but you should be a lot. Guys, we're here to win the championship. Okay? In order to win the championship, you need to be way more than you are. Because right now, you are unformed, you're weak, you're, you're lazy, you don't like each other, you, and, and, and that's all you know, that's you, but this is where we got to be. And in order to get there, you need to shape up. In fact, there's uh, one scene where um, the, the former, so they, they have two teams that kind of come together, the black team and the white team. And uh, so they both have two coaches, right? And so the white coach takes like the assistant coaching job and Denzel Washington takes the head coaching job. This uh, white coach, the assistant coach, at one point, he, uh, like Denzel's been super mean to this guy, like, get up, why can't you do this? Run fast, run. And the guy's just beat up. He's, he's crying, he's miserable. And so the, 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 the other coach, the assistant coach, come, hey, buddy, hang in there. You're doing great, don't worry about it. Denzel's like, don't talk to him like that. Don't coddle him. If we're going to win, he's got to be tough. If we're going to win, he's got to get near to his calling. And he's not going to get there by you. He says his calling, our calling as a team, is to become this. And he's not there yet. And that, again, it's, 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 that's the same idea, the same concept in Greek. It's, it's both, it's okay, hang in there, you're doing great, keep going. But it's also, this is where you've got to get, now get there. 
This is where you should be. It's next thing in your note sheets. The Greco-Roman uh, notion of encouragement, parakaleo, is both calling someone near, brook cheerleader, and also nearing someone's call, Denzel coach. The cheerleader and the coach. It's both. And it's not one or the other. Now, this, uh, this, this, this idea that, that, that someone could be both a cheerleader and a coach at the same time, it's, it's perfectly, it's perfectly uh, united in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. In fact, every single one of the spiritual gifts, they're the gifts from the Spirit of Christ. It's the, Christ, it's the Holy Spirit of Christ that gives us these gifts. And so, the gifts that we receive are the sorts of things that we see in Jesus. They're the gifts that he had too. And there may not be a better place in the New Testament to see them than in uh, Matthew 14 when Jesus calls Peter to walk on the water. It's been a stormy night, very early in the morning, probably like 3, 4 a.m. Jesus comes to his disciples who are on a boat, and he does so by walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! They were so frightened, they screamed. Just then, Jesus spoke to them, be encouraged. Uh, literally, it's, it's uh, take heart. Uh, take heart. Uh, but for our purposes, I mean, what does that mean, to take heart? It's, it's hang in there. It's okay. I know it seems like the offense has been running all over you, but don't worry. I believe in you. You can push them back. Be encouraged. It's me. Don't be afraid. Hey, look, I get it. The wind's coming, the storm's up, the boat is shaking, and you're seeing me walking on the water. You're terrified. Stop. It's me. I'm, I'm calling you near me. I'm coming near to you. Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. Peter, you know, he's the, he's the quarterback of the team, and he's like, man, Maybe we have a chance. Maybe we have a chance. Maybe we could be great. But if so, I got to take a big step forward in my game. He says, Lord, really? If it's real, then tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. I believe, Peter, that you can be a water walker. That's what you've been called to, to be, to have the faith of somebody so strong that you can walk on the water. And Peter believes, and he gets out of the boat. He's walking on the water toward Jesus, but then, like any normal human being, he sees the strong wind, the waves. He becomes frightened. He begins to sink. Notice the text doesn't say that he begins to sink because he's frightened. Um, it's, there's different ways that people think about this, but typically people will say something like, you know, Peter's had his eyes on Jesus, but then he looks off, and then he starts to sink. Maybe. As he began to sink, he shouts, Lord, rescue me. Now, what does Jesus do? He literally, literally calls him right alongside, right? He's like immediately reaches in. He pulls him up. He grabs him. I'm calling you to me. And then he says, you small faith man, why did you begin to doubt? Small faith man, that's the absolute perfect literal translation of, um, of the Greek there. You, uh, you might have heard ye of little faith, something like that. But it's you're a small faith man, Peter. Why did you start doubting? 
Really? That's what he says to Peter? I remember uh, when I was learning to ride a bike, I had a red diamond back. In my mind, uh, the entire neighborhood came out to see me learn to ride a bike. I have a very crystal clear memory of this. Because, I mean, these people, they, these kids, they had nothing to do better than be like, is Tommy going to learn to ride a bike today? That's how I'm telling you. It's there. Uh, anyway, so in my memory, uh, my dad's there, and he's like, he's like, okay, let's do this. And so he kind of gives me a push, and I start to go, and I'm, oh, my gosh, I'm balancing. But then I get to, like, uh, there's, like, a sidewalk, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to turn yet. So I stop, and I fall over, and I get a cut. The crowd went wild. Yay, Tom, you learned to ride a bike. I'm serious. This is what, in my head, this is what happened. I'm not kidding you. Uh, I remember, like, people running up beside me and being like, you did it. I, that probably didn't happen, but I hope it did. Because that's what you, like, that's a big deal, right? Kid learns how to ride a bike. That's a big deal. You've got to encourage him, right? Peter walks on water. <laughs> Something no human being's ever done except for Jesus. He starts to sink, and Jesus is like, really? Why is your face so small? Why did you start doubting? And, and, and the, the text doesn't tell, Peter doesn't respond. He doesn't say, oh, I started doubting. Because we all know, he was like in the middle of a storm. There's wind, there's waves, and he's walking on water in the middle of a lake. And <laughs> he doesn't know how to swim. Well, of course he's scared. What a, <laughs> don't you kind of expect to be, Jesus to be like, hey man, good job. For, for the first time walking on, your, on water, you did really well. Isn't that kind of like, that's kind of how we would, I mean, I, that's how I would respond. Uh, but, but Jesus is different. Jesus, uh, Jesus knows Peter. He knows Peter's heart. Peter, we know, is a brash, rash kind of guy. He like, he just, he's always going for the next thing. I mean, here's a dude who literally was like, hey, if it's you, t- tell me to come out and walk on the water. Just do it. Like, that's a pretty bold, and I think Jesus, Jesus understands the kind of person Peter is. He understands that Peter needs the nudge. He needs to, to keep pushing. Uh, there, there are those of you who are competitors, right? Like, you love competing in sports and whatnot. You know that when, when you make a mistake and you fail, you want your coach to be, get back in the game. You're better than that. And you respond to that. That's how, that's how it works. I don't. I need to be petted. I need the whole neighborhood to come out and be like, you did it. But that illustrates a, a very interesting dichotomy in what it is to be an encourager, right? Because on the one hand, uh, you, you could go in, in the direction of like, oh, you did it, you're, cheer- you're cheerlead all the time, right? You could go in the direction of coaching all the time. Denzel, get up there, you can do it. And it's a very difficult uh, line to walk. Uh, some of you will be upset with me, but I think that Master Yoda was one of the worst coaches in, in history. Like, you got a picture of Yoda, bring him up. Like, did you watch that movie, Empire Strikes Back? He's awful. Remember the part where Luke Skywalker is like, has his hand on the ground, he's like, he, and he's got one hand out, and Yoda's standing on top of his feet. And Luke's using the Force to like bring up, and you're like, wow, Luke, good job at the Force. And he loses his, his focus for one second, he falls over, and Yoda's like, <sighs> and Luke's like, he's like, you asked the impossible. And I think it's because Yoda doesn't know Luke. He doesn't know that Luke is a wounded kid. And he needs a little more, like, petting and, and, and loving before he's ready to get back up. On the left there, Step Brothers. 
Stepbrothers is the story of two 40-year-old men who still live with their parents, which sounds awesome. <laughs> At one point, they go down to the basement, and they're like, like kicking pumpkins and using night vision goggles. It's awesome. They're kids. And the reason they're kids is because they've been coddled. Any time, like normal people, you know, you get, well, I guess nowadays we stay until 30, but it used to be that at 18 you get kicked out of the house. Now it's 30. Stepbrothers went so far as to go to 40 that the parents are like, oh, 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 no, 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 don't challenge yourself. Did you get a boo-boo? There's literally a part where like one of them's got like a little scratch. He's like, oh. And it's because they're, they, they're, they're ultimate helicopter parents, parents that, that have never at any time pushed it and said it's always like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, I love you, just don't worry about it, you're the best, you're, just stay the way you are, you're perfect. Yoda, you know, he goes from a coach like Denzel, but then he becomes a critic. He's just constantly tearing Luke down. And as a result, Luke gives up, he Disaster follows. I think it's Yoda's fault. The stepbrothers, they don't, they don't launch because their parents go from cheerleaders to coddlers. Right? Instead of, hey, you can do it, it's, oh, you're just, I love you. It's not love, by the way. So the next thing you know, she's uh, I had changed this, so if you have the paper sheet, it's a little bit different. But uh, an encourager must balance between becoming a coddler and a critic. So if you have the gift of encouragement, you might be, I tend to be a coddler. Like, I tend to be like, oh, man, that's really tough. People come to me, they tell me their problems. I'm like, jeez, I'm sorry. Some of you, on the other hand, t- t- tend to be critics. You're like, people come there like, Dude, put your pants on. Get out of the house. Are you serious? Come on. And, and there's, it's a very delicate balance. Like, there's, there's a, a place where I, instead of being like, hey, you're great, you're awesome, I kind of need to be like, but are you though? Like, is this really what God called you to be right now? Is this God's vision for who you are? You've reached it, you've achieved it. And some of you are like, you just, you can't do anything right. This is what you're supposed to be. Why can't you do it? A real encourager, a real parakaleo-er. You you call someone near, but you also get someone near to what their calling is. So just a couple of questions. Number one, um, am I an encourager? Or do you know someone who is? Uh, these gifts, like, yeah, we can all have little bits of them, but the, like I said, these are spirit-empowered abilities and talents. We all have, um, some of us, this is really who we are in Christ. We're, we have been called to be encouragers. Um, if, if that's you, then you need to think about what kind of encourager you're being. If it's not you, identify the people around you who are because you need them. You need someone to, to push you, and you need someone to tell you it's Okay. If you don't, you're going to be flying solo. It's not going to work. Number two, do you cheerlead so much that you become a coddler if you're an encourager? Do you allow mediocrity? This is totally me. I'm totally this kind of man. I, I love telling people they're great. 
It's a very effective way to make people like you. I found. Some people, they don't buy it though because they're like, but don't actions matter? I'm like, well, probably. <laughs> but you're awesome. <laughs> uh, but but uh, yeah, I, I sometimes wonder, I'm like, am I just letting people just sort of be what they are and, and never like setting their eyes on like, hey, but, but what about the goal that got the upward calling of Christ Jesus? Like, hey, you're supposed to be a disciple. You're supposed to become the image of the living God. Like, like Jesus, like, come on, man. If you're an encourager, though, you might also uh, have, have crossed over from coaching in, uh, into criticizing. And so if you're, you might be the kind of person who has a very clear, this is number three, the near, very clear sense of, of, of what people should be like, and you want them to get there, but you're kind of hard on them, and, and, you're, and you, you miss the sensitivity part. And I think, also, honestly, part of what might be important is for, you know, coddlers like myself to partner up with critics. Good cop, bad cop. I think that's a good, legitimate way to, to, to do things. Uh, but ideally, I think what God wants for encouragers is for you to be both. Uh, number four. Pay attention. Uh, you know, the, it's one of the tough things about church is that uh, people can slip through the cracks. And encouragers, you're like the first line of finding someone who's, who's discouraged and brokenhearted, and you're the first one who can come alongside them and, and call them to yourself and get them back on their feet. But you've got to be looking around. You can't just be looking inside. You can't just be focused on your family and your job and, 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 and your stuff. And similarly, you're going to be the first one uh, who needs a kick. In, you can see the people who need a kick. They're not performing. And you know what they could be because you've seen the greatness in them. But you've got to be looking. Last but not least, if you're not an encourager, find someone who's encouraged you and thank them. Uh, being an encourager is a funny thing because uh, you tend to be the one, we, we tend to be the ones telling everyone they're great. Very rarely do people thank us and say, good job. And uh, I'd just like to highlight old Bill Coburn's back there. Uh, dude's a total encourager. He just, he just gives so much. He sees the best in people. He brings it out. And uh, Bill, thank you, man. Thank you for the times that you've uh, come alongside me, called me near to yourself. I appreciate that. Um, and likewise, if someone here has encouraged you or you know someone in your life who's encouraged you, they, they've pushed you to the next level or they picked you up when you were down, say thanks. Brothers and sisters, we have been given these gifts. So that we can be cheerleaders and coaches, not coddlers and critics, so that we can build up the church. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, thank you for the gift of encouragement, exhortation. We thank you that you've set people in our lives to, to call us near to them to come alongside and call alongside to them, to, to pick us up, to, to, to spur us on, to cheerlead, and then to show us your vision for who we're called to be and to coach us in that direction. God, may we all have a spirit of encouragement. May none of us coddle or criticize, but instead through the words and actions that your spirit empowers us to, to, to say and do, may we build up your church.
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.